why don't you find your seats and uh, you can get out your Bibles. Some of the best words we say all week. Let's open our Bibles together and go with me to the book of Mark. We are back in the book of Mark after a month of Go Beyond. I'm excited to be able to get back into this. Mark chapter 10 is where we left off uh, last month, Mark chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, so um, you can, uh, you'll can you notice our ushers are coming around, just get their attention, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, we've been studying the book of Mark, and Mark has been really trying to give us an answer to two really fundamental questions. Who is this guy, Jesus? And he's been showing us that, man, Jesus is the Son of God. He has power. He has power and authority even to forgive sins, and yet he's also the Christ. He's the Messiah, but now we've turned the corner here at the middle of this book, and and Jesus is going to spend the rest of the book trying to help us understand what that means, that he is the Christ, that he is the suffering servant who came to die for our sins. So he's helping us understand who Jesus is. But then he's also answering this other question, what does it then mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to to follow Jesus? And really, I think he's urging you to consider, even this morning, are are you a disciple? There are some questions for which you really need to know the answer. Like, have I paid this month's rent? Or mortgage already? Did, did I send that check? Like, need to know if I did that. Or, or uh, how do I get a hold of 911 in the case of an emergency? And I know you might think that's really silly until you have kids and you realize, like, you know, we kind of need to know the answer to that question. Or do I have enough gas in my car to make it to work in the morning without having to stop? Or uh, where is the closest Chick-fil-A in relation to my house? Or what am I going to do when my daughter starts to like another boy? And how much jail time does that include? See, there are some questions for which you really, you got to know the answer to this. Hey, listen, listen. There is, there's a question that you need to know the answer to. Don't skip this. Don't put this off. Because if you think about it, even for just a moment, you think about it for a minute, you're going to realize that this is the most crucial question that you could ask in this lifetime. It's this. How do I get eternal life? That's really, I mean, if you think about it, the urgency is there because we realize life is short. We're not going to be here forever, and at some point we all have to face the reality that we're going to die. The question is, do you know what's going to happen to you when you do? You think about that? I think at times it's appropriate for us to pay attention, and to ask that question, and to make sure we know the answer. And Jesus tells us that it's possible that we can have eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question is, how do I make sure that I get that? Well, I want to show it to you, Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 13. Are you there? Starting in verse 13, here's what he says. They were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. 
really technical term. I had to look that one up. It basically just says mad, okay? Why is he mad? He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, watch this, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So I want to give you, um, we're going to look at a little bit more text this morning, but I think if you want to have life with Jesus, there's two things you got to know today. Here's one, note this, learn the value of nothing. Learn the value of nothing, okay? Here comes these kids. Jesus is always surrounded by crowds. People are always pressing in. They want to see Jesus. They want to see what he's going to do next. And now we have this invasion of of children that are coming in. And anybody who's ever spent any amount of time with kids know that kids kind of add a level of chaos and volume to anything that's going on. Moms, you want to give an amen to that? Anybody? Yes? Okay. So, so, so you can imagine how the disciples are feeling in the midst of this crowd when the kids just start rushing up and, and, and creating a little bit more chaos. And it says that the disciples rebuked them. Like, don't let these kids in here. That's not what this is for. But don't, don't, uh, it, don't, don't be too quick to dump on these disciples like they're just a bunch of old, uh, cranky old men who don't want to have any fun. Think about this. Jesus is doing really important work. Like healing people and doing other miracles and, and he's having it out with the Pharisees. Literally, we just had a conversation about things like hell and divorce. We're talking about, we, we're having some adult conversations here. So, so, so if you want to like feel what the disciples are feeling, just, just imagine, if you will, imagine you're at the Capitol building. Okay, you're at the Capitol building, and the Senate floor proceedings are interrupted by a whole bunch of kids just running around and screaming all over the place. What do you think would happen in that? Or, or, or better yet, just imagine Sunday morning. We're trying to worship here, right? We gather together, we're praying, and we're singing, and we're trying to listen, but we let the kids in here, and, and kids are going to be kids. And, and so what do they do? They're jumping off the chairs and they're chucking toys down the stairs. Like, what's going to, I'm going to freak out because you're not paying attention. This is not the time or the place for that. And, and so these disciples, I mean, somebody, somebody needs to get these kids, take them over to that hill and let them run around or something. Like, Jesus has more important things to worry about. They have determined that kids don't rise to the level of being worth Jesus' precious time. We've got more important things to do. We've got real people issues. Now, I know that for us, we're like those jerks. Like, we, 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 we don't get this because um, you have to understand in their culture, kids were not as highly regarded as they can be in, in our world, like we have entire stores dedicated to kids. Our, we have an entire like Netflix account, like it's all kids. Okay, it's not like that. It didn't work that way. In that culture, they the the children were not really seen as valuable members of uh, society. They weren't elevated to the same level of importance and uh, attention. So the disciples are just doing what everybody thought should happen. Look what Jesus does, verse fourteen. When he saw it, he was indignant 
Let's call it what it is. Jesus is ticked off. How dare you guys push anybody away and decide that they are less valuable than anybody else, that they're not worth the time? You see, Jesus coming to the defense of Children, which is an awesome picture of the gospel here, that Jesus cares for the people who can't defend themselves and are, who are rejected by everyone else. He says, let the little children come to me. Because Jesus, children need Jesus just as much as anybody else does. And he welcomes them into his arms. So side note, I think this is just important that we would note this. You have to know that around here, we love kids. And our Harvest Kids ministry is one of the most crucial ministries in our church. And it's not just so that we can keep the kids occupied so that we can do more important things. It's not that they're a necessary evil or that they are a burden or that they are less significant in any way. Harvest Kids is real ministry to people, little people, but people who matter. They matter to Christ, so they matter to us. And, and parents, I just want you to know, I, like, I know you love your kids, and, and you have to, we have to be clear on this. We can't raise your kids for you. hope you're not expecting that. But we want to love them. And we want to help you bring them to Jesus. And Jesus, look at it, he, he welcomes them, but not only does he welcome the children, but look at what he does. He, he directs our focus on them and makes them examples that we're supposed to follow. He sets them up like we're supposed to be like the kid, and it's not just like this would be a good idea if you tried to, no, it's, it's if you don't do this, you won't have life. Look at what he says, verse 15, he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He says, look at the kids, look at the kids. You're supposed to learn from them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He's not saying that all the kids have. He's saying to such people who are like kids have the kingdom of God. They have eternal life where Christ reigns. So if you want to have life with Christ, you must learn how to be like a child. So then the obvious question is, um, what does that mean? What, 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 what does it look like? What, what does like a child mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. I'm pretty confident that Jesus is not extolling the virtues of little children. That they're cute and innocent and easily trusting. Because that would mean that Jesus then is, is suggesting that we could earn the right to eternal life by doing what kids do, or by exemplifying the same virtues ourselves. That's not the gospel. It's not about what we do. It's what Jesus has done. And eternal life is given, not earned. He's not saying that kids possess something that we need to get. What he's actually doing is he's, he's pointing out that kids don't have anything. And they know it. Kids are Needy. Kids are helpless. Anybody feel that? Just in case you like wanted to, uh, like, like an example of this, how many of you have a, a, a budget in your home? Does anybody like have a budget? 
Okay, a few people. This is good. So, so those of you that have a budget, I want you to show me the universal sign for the percentage of your budget that is dependent on your kid's income. Okay, not, not the kids that are like grown and almost about out the door, but the little kids. Like, how much do the kids contribute? Come on, show me, show me. Okay, nothing, right? What do kids have that they can bring to the table to earn their keep? Answer, nothing. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. What he's saying is children have nothing without it being given to them. They are needy. They are vulnerable. They are dependent. And they receive because they have empty hands. They know they need. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me if you think about it, how how dependent kids are. Especially babies. Some of you have found this out the hard way. I mean, if you look around the rest of the animal kingdom, there are some, you know, animals that are born as babies. They can walk right away. Our kids can't do that. They can't walk. They can't talk. They can't eat. They can't do anything. I mean, God had to make them super cute. I'm glad he did, but he had to do that because all they do is eat, sleep, poop, and repeat the cycle, and they cry through the whole thing, right? They can't do anything. And, and, and we're not really in the, the baby stage, I guess, technically. Javen's, I, I, he's, I think he's basically a toddler at this point. But even as they get older, I feel like we're constantly still hurting them along. Like, come on, get in the door. Take your shoes off. Go wash your hands. Put your jammies on. Brush your teeth. Get into bed. We're, they need help all the time. Javen, uh, this week, we were hanging out with cousins. And, um, you know, we're, we're having a blast. And he's getting his energy out. And, and we blew right through nap time. So we knew it was coming at some point. And, 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 and you know, he, he, he comes to me. And I'm sitting on a porch swing. And he climbs up next to me. He sits down. And he's eating a bag of Cheetos. All right? And, and, and I just see him, like, you know, pulling these out and making an absolute mess. And, and at one point, I realized, I looked down. And his hand went into the bag of Cheetos and didn't come back out again. And I looked down. And he's just slumped over in the chair, like, completely gone. The dude cannot even lay down for a nap by himself, and he's covered in cheese. I mean, that is a picture of the kids. This, they are a mess. Kids are needy. And so in verse 16, when it says that, that he took them in his arms and he blessed them, anyone who has ever spent any amount of time with kids can just imagine Jesus picking up this little girl after he has to stoop down and tie her sandal again. And I, I kind of imagine him chuckling a little bit as he hugs this little dude who apparently put a shirt on backwards that morning. And he has to wipe the tears away from this little girl who tripped in her excitement to get to him and kiss her little knee and tell her that it's going to be okay. You see, these kids knew that they needed him, and they knew that his embrace was free. And they were wrapped in a warmth of love that they could trust. And they didn't have to do anything for it. And as Jesus is holding these little kids, he's looking at you, and he's looking at me, and he's saying, come to me like this. Come on, come to me like this. Or maybe you resist his embrace. Maybe you try to prove that uh, you can handle life on your own, that I'm okay. I can do it my way. Not admitting that I need help, trying to be independent, trying to prove that I am worth something because of the workload that I can handle or what all I've accomplished or what titles 
I hold. Let's just, let's just be honest. We're professionals around here. So it's kind of hard for us to admit that we need help. But if you learn the value of nothing, it means that I come to Jesus just as I am. And I live with this conscious reality that I have nothing to offer God that would make me worthy of his love and mercy. But that I don't have to bring anything. That he loves me as his own because of the finished work of Jesus and everything that I have in him is because it's been given to me. I am completely dependent on my heavenly father. When you learn the value of nothing, you live like this. With empty hands facing heaven, trusting the only one who can fill them. I want you to remember this. This is important. Embrace your neediness and stop trying to have it all together and be independent. Because here's the warning if you don't receive and trust Him like a child, you won't have life. But don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that this is just for salvation. This is for discipleship. Because disciples live with a childlike dependence on the Father. But what does your prayer life say about your dependence on God? Do you pray like you need Him? Or is it only occasionally when you've got like really big stuff that I, now I can't handle? I'm up a creek. What about your decision making? Do you make decisions knowing like, I, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I want to do this in a way that's pleasing to you. Now, I'm, I don't trust myself to figure this out on my own. Do you thank God for provision? How often do you give him praise for what he has done? If you don't receive him and trust him like a child, you won't have life with Jesus. In fact, I want to show you there's a warning. We're going to keep looking in the text because I think uh, you can see what happens when you fail to learn the value of nothing and live in total dependence on God. Let's, let's keep reading verse 17. It says, um, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. One thing. What is it? What is it? What, what, what? Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Here's what he's saying. Another, the second thing you need to do, if you want to have life with Jesus, note this, let go of everything else. Let go of everything else. Here comes this man that runs up and kneels before Jesus. That's a good start. And he asks this question, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Now, you just got to understand, this guy is impressive, all right? Uh, The book of Matthew and the book of Luke also record this story, and they tell us that this guy was young and that he's a ruler, and we know he's got a whole bunch of stuff, so we we call him the rich young ruler, okay? I mean, the disciples have got to be like, "This we got to recruit this guy, and then this is exciting, man. If we could get this guy on our team, I I mean, you you imagine what he could do. You you can't build a ministry on a bunch of kids. They don't have anything to give, but this guy, I mean, he's obviously loaded. I mean, he's wearing his Armani suit. He's sharp. He's blessed by God. And he's humble? I mean, he's a good dude. And he's practically asking how to join us. I mean, you couldn't tee this up better if you wanted. And so they're just waiting for Jesus to close the deal because, man, we could use this guy on our team. And and so in order to answer him, what do I got to do? Jesus points him to the law, the the Ten Commandments, okay? And, And what does the man say? He says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Well, now the disciples are freaking out. They're like, even better. He's already kept the rules. I mean, this guy's going to fit in great around here. He looks the part. He sounds the part. He's already played the part. I mean, for sure, this guy's a shoe in And Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Wait, what? What? what, what what's, what's he missing? He, he's the total package. He's got everything. Did he forget to pray a prayer? Do you need to get baptized? I mean, what, what, what has he got to do? Here it is, verse 21. Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Here's, here's how Jesus explains the gospel to him. Sell all your stuff. How does that guarantee eternal life? I mean, I've taken evangelism class in seminary. I've learned some ways to... Share the gospel with people, never covered that tactic. Why does Jesus call him to sell everything? Well, there's a couple reasons. Here's one. This is important to know. Jesus tells him to sell everything because he loves him. Verse 21, he said, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
you know that Jesus will tell you what you need to hear even if you don't want to hear it? Because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. He doesn't want this guy to miss it. Which is the second reason he tells him this is because Jesus wants his heart. You see, this man thinks that he can earn eternal life by his performance. And so Jesus is going to have to press in here a little bit and reveal just how sinful he really is. He's trying to help him understand, you don't really love God. Let, let, let me show you the argument. Here's, here's what, look back at verse 18. Here, here's basically the way Jesus approaches this. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What he's saying is, wait, wait, only God is good, so are you calling me God? Do you believe that Jesus is God? And then he gives him some of these commandments, knowing that the man's going to affirm his morality, like, kept those ones, but he skips over some of the commandments. Most notably, the first one, that you shall have no other gods before me. So here's how this works. If you believe that Jesus is God, then he comes first. You must worship him alone. See, disciples love and serve him only. Nothing comes before him. And so when he presses in and he tells this guy to sell all of his stuff, Jesus is essentially saying to him, hey, bro, it kind of looks like your arms are too full. And if you want to have life with me, you're going to have to let go of all that other stuff. So there's this, this minute, for just a minute, this, this young man is having to look back and forth between his stuff that he's got in his arms and Jesus, and he's got to make a choice here, weigh his options. Which would you rather have? But to let go means that you have to admit that you've been finding your identity in what you have. Or that you've been placing too much value on the things that bring you comfort. The things that bring you happiness. Can we just be honest? We've got a lot, don't we? So, so what, if, what if God asked you to give up the job that you have? Or the position that you hold and take some menial task, take something that's less uh, prestigious and less ideal, would, would you be willing to do that? You have to do something that you're not so proud of? You don't really want people to know or see you in that uniform? Or if following Jesus meant that you had to downsize and live somewhere less safe and less comfortable, would you be willing to do that? Or if you had to give up your vacations or give up your weekends or give up the things that you love to do or if you had to drive some embarrassing vehicle or if it meant that you had to let go of relationships. Like seriously, would you be willing to give up and let go of your spouse, your kids? See, anything can become an idol when we hold on to it too tight. Then we get the saddest verse in all the Bible, verse 22. 
One of the saddest verses, it says, disheartened. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, Jesus was not his treasure. It wasn't worth it to him to give up all of his stuff. He'd rather have that. But I want you to notice his emotion. Notice, notice this. It says that he's disheartened and he's sorrowful. Doesn't sound like he's happy with his choice, does it? Because even he knows that he's not really getting a good deal here. You know that anytime you choose anything over Jesus, you'll be sorry for it. It never satisfies. So Jesus tells his disciples how, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you, you just got to understand, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They're in shock at the moment. They, 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 don't, they don't get it. Like, they were assuming that this guy was already blessed by God. He was so close, and now he's walking away. And Jesus says, man, getting into the kingdom of God is hard. And then he gives this crazy imagery of a, a, a camel threading a needle like that'll ever happen. And basically what he's saying is it is essentially impossible for somebody who is rich to get eternal life. Now, most of you probably think that you're off the hook on this one because you don't consider yourself to be someone rich. But I bet the rest of the world would say you are. And now the disciples are kind of freaking out here a little bit. Like, like, wait a minute, you know, then who can be saved? If that guy doesn't get it, then, then how can anyone get eternal life? And Jesus answers, verse 27, with man, it is impossible. You got it. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. It takes a work of God to loosen our grip and pry our fingers off of our worthless idols. He has to change our hearts so that we want him, so that we will recognize he's a better treasure. But, but, but look at the hint that Jesus gave them for how to respond. Look back in verse 24. This is how he wanted them. The disciples are amazed at this. They're still kind of in shock, but Jesus said to them again, what does he call them? What does he call them? Do you see it? Children! What do you think he was referencing there? Come to me like little kids. Let go of everything. There's nothing that you have that could make you more valuable. There's nothing that you need more than me. See, re remember the posture of children. This is how disciples live. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. Is Jesus your treasure? Because if he is, if you are convinced that he's better, you'll let go of everything else. And Peter steps up and has to uh, interrupt for just a moment. He's like, well, we've, 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 we've left everything to follow you. Like, Peter, we were having a moment, okay, man? He, like, he just needed to just insert himself because he wants the assurance that we made the right choice. And maybe you feel that. Is it really worth it? If I let go of that, is, is this going to turn out all right for me in the end. And, and, and here's what Jesus says. He, he gives you this assurance that, that if you give these things up for my sake or for the gospel, you will receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. Not going to be easy. But in the age to come, eternal life. Here's what he's saying. When you let go of everything else, you do not lose. You'll receive a hundredfold. Now, that, 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 that is not some health, wealth, gospel, or, or some like, get-rich-quick scheme. What he's really saying is all that you have given up is nothing compared to what you will have in the family of God in the church right now and what you have waiting for you in heaven for all of eternity. So what he's saying to us this morning is don't settle for your worthless idols. Man, would you would rather keep all the stuff that's filling your arms that is so dear to you. It's C.S. Lewis would say it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What he's saying is, God wants to take you to the ocean, but yet you just want to play in your little mud puddle in the back alley? That doesn't make sense. Jesus is better than that. When you finally get it, and you let go of everything else, and you open your arms in surrender and childlike dependence on him, you're going to find that God fills open arms. You will have life with Jesus for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would convince us again that you are better. We'll just admit that sometimes we have a hard time letting go. Sometimes I want to be in control. Sometimes I like to know that I can make sure that I get what I want. Lord, would you just show us again that the things that we're chasing after are so foolish. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to give us what we think it will. And Lord, I pray that you would help our church to become like a bunch of little kids. That we would learn the value of nothing. That when we bring nothing to you, when we realize we don't have to, that's when you fill our arms. You give us the assurance that what we have coming is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to want you. I pray that you would help us to know the answer to that question. How do I get eternal life? That we would look to your son what he did on the cross and realize it's not about what we do but what you have done for us and I pray that we would lift high the name of Jesus it's in his name we pray amen